morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are today. I'm Ali Amagasu, and you're listening to Cloud Unfiltered. Today we're excited to welcome Jeff Aiden from Second Watch. They're an MSP, and we're going to ask him a lot of questions about what they're seeing out there in the field with folks moving workloads to the cloud, what kind of challenges they're seeing, and uh, how some of the latest changes in the industry are impacting that. Before I do, however, I'd like to welcome my co-host, as usual, Pete Johnson. How are you doing today, Pete? Hey, Allie. I'm doing okay. Hey, Pete, before we go delve into uh, interviewing Jeff, a quick word on uh, DevNet Create. I know you were up there last week. We even talked a little bit about it on the episode. How, uh, how did that go? Yeah, it was really cool. It was, at the, uh, it was at the Computer History Museum in Mountain View that used to be the SGI headquarters. And my old man joke for it was the first time I went to that building, it was SGI headquarters. And I said that to a millennial and said, what's that? who said, what's SGI? So that was my, <laughs> my old man joke for the for that session. And yeah, I mean, Susie, we gave a great, uh, gave a great keynote on day one, and they had this really cool um, example application. It was this augmented reality application. This guy took out his phone and showed how you could, he panned the ceiling, and it, it like highlighted the individual wireless access points. So that if you're a network engineer who's going out to try to do something physically to all your wireless access points, sometimes that can be difficult to see along the ceiling. So not only would it find them, but it would then augment the view and tell you what the MAC address was and what the IP address was. And it could pull up some configuration and it could even do like a, like a signal overlay where it would show the strength of the signal going from green to yellow to red as you panned out from the view of that device through your augmented reality app. So it's really slick. That sounds really slick. That sounds really yeah, cool. Well, I'm glad you a lot of cool things. A lot of cool stuff. That's good. Good, good. All right, Jeff. Well, thank you for, uh, for being patient while I'm chatting up Pete about that show. But um, let's talk about Second Watch, and let's talk about what you guys are seeing out there. First off, what the heck is Second Watch? Yeah, hey, welcome, and thank you for having me on the show. Um, Second Watch is kind of the next generation service provider. So I think you'd mentioned we're an MSP. We're also a large consulting um, practice. So today we call that cloud services. So we provide both the professional services and then ongoing management of what customers don't want to manage on a day-to-day -day basis, especially through the transformation project, you know, projects and, and transformation type engagement with, with customers. Um, they need a mixture of both the professional services and the ongoing management, whether it be tooling or individuals. And so we provide that for the cloud providers, the major cloud providers today, which is AWS, Azure, and we do do a, a, a small amount on Google, um, but those are kind of your three major public cloud providers. Uh, we also work with DMC on AWS as kind of a hybrid step for customers as well. Great. You know, I imagine that customers come to you at various points kind of in the process where they've either tried to do this themselves, maybe they have done it themselves for a while, or maybe they haven't even touched it. And so you might see a different array of kind of challenges, but, but what are customers asking you for these days that maybe is different for what they were asking for five years ago? Yeah, I know it's a great question. So I've been working with the cloud since 2008 and uh, Second Watch since we founded it in 2010 as a founder. There are a lot of similarities between what we see today and what we've seen five or even 10 years ago and some differences. You know, major differences are some of the large, massive mistakes 
in you know in proportion are not being made like they were in the early days you know customers not configuring things properly just really not even understanding how to use some of the basic tools today we see that basic knowledge in the marketplace pretty pretty um pretty well caught up but as you start to move beyond compute and storage you start to move into you know multiple accounts and and many hundreds of applications um, and how they work together I would say that the marketplace is, is still tight on labor and expertise in that area, and that's why customers call partners like us. Uh, as you start to look at large enterprises, especially you know Fortune 500, even to some of your larger mid-market customers that are beyond a single application, so outside your technology providers that are running businesses with mission-critical applications and databases that provide business units and vendors and partners information, it becomes highly complex if you're talking about migrations or transformations. And so what hasn't changed is, is how do I get there? How do I do this safely, securely? How do I set up governance? You know, the cloud providers are really, really set up well for a single application where somebody can come in and, and put a credit card and, and use that. But as you start to think organizational layout and mapping and governance and, and support and all of the pieces that go into that transformation, it becomes a lot more complex and that expertise is, is more narrow and why customers call on partners. That makes sense. So if that's how things are changing on the customer end, it you know, I was I was looking at your website and it looks like you guys are very tightly tied to Amazon. You you do a lot of work with them. And it made me wonder, what are you seeing that Amazon has changed over the years? How are they different in how they interact with, say, companies like yours and with, with customers? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I would say, you know, the DNA within Amazon really hasn't changed. It's obviously grown, a lot more people. But our, our model is to help enterprises with enterprise cloud technology. And that's why we became tightly coupled with Amazon early on is, they really were the gold standard of cloud products. And so to work with an enterprise, we had to provide the best products and services. And today we've seen you know, other cloud providers like Azure and Google start to make headway into that. So the rate of innovation hasn't changed, which is also good for partners because it's more for customers to keep up on. Imagine some of the listeners out there have a day job. They might be a SAN engineer or, or work in networking, and as you discussed earlier. And, and as you move into the cloud, you get out of the silos and you have to be more strategic as a technology provider or even a technologist and have to look across all the silos and understand how they work together to configure the right environment for your application. Pete, is any of this spurring questions for you? Yeah, it is. You know, I wanted to follow up a little bit on the question that Ali asked about how things have changed. And you talked about how you don't see kind of the big mistakes being made anymore. You see, uh, see some basic knowledge. So what does basic knowledge look like? Is, that, is, is basic knowledge being able to go to the console and spin up an EC2 instance? Is it doing it through the command line? Is it getting involved with cloud formation templates? Or, or is it something else? Well, yeah, so without getting too deep technically, right? You know, in the early days, you know, simple scaling configurations were issues for customers of how to architect scaling. And I would preface this, as you see late adopters, we see some of the same issues. Understanding the dynamics of the cloud, 
and so users or companies that have been using the cloud have moved beyond this. But you know, a common one would be you know somebody's running. Let's let's just pick a SharePoint application for you know a thousand or three thousand users, and there would be guidelines of the size of instance you would need, and licensing, etc. Well, in the cloud, you're able to configure differently based on the actual usage. So you're not building towards a future state. You're not building towards you know, a 2B architecture, you're building to what users actually build or what users actually use. And so you're able to build it with smaller services in some cases and scale that up as needed, if needed at all, which can save you money on licensing. It can save you money on, you know, monthly run costs. And so a lot of it, the, the basics, when I say the basics are kind of those early adopters have really, you know, understood those those basics, have moved out into other companies, understand some of the basics of how the cloud works. And we are seeing that come back in with the late adopters a little bit. Security is a great example, understanding how to be secure and when and, and how to prevent that as being an issue within your, within your organizations um, is obviously an issue for late adopters, but early adopters have, have come to understand the cloud to be secure. So again, it's a lot of those motions or patterns that we've seen over the years that, that have changed. As far as you know, Amazon specifically, right, the services have become more complex. They're innovating. Customers have trouble keeping up with that and always have understanding the latest and greatest, whether it's, hey, here's a new class of EC2 instance, how do I use that? Or it's new services or offerings around RIs um, or even next-gen platform services. How, how are you handling that learning curve? Because that's certainly, you know, they've managed to scale people fairly well. But, but as you mentioned, right, there's, there's well over like 120 services now. And it seems like every six months we get a new set of instance types that have the funky names that you have to, to memorize. No, it's to the point where no one person can know everything about all the services. There's just too much information out there. So how, how do you manage that with your own tech, you know, technical staff? Yeah, well, so we're different than a large GSI. This is all we do. So our technologists aren't worrying about hardware. They're not worried about anything other than what they work on, which is the cloud. So we're unique in that sense and being cloud native and a growth company now out of the startup phase. We have a lot of individuals that have been working with the cloud for, you know, five to ten years that are working with us. So I would say the the first thing is because this is all we do, we have a broader set of knowledge across all the service offerings that AWS offers. There's actually over half a million SKUs on AWS. And as you start to put those Lego pieces together to build something, you have to have that in-depth knowledge. So, you know, for us it's easy because we don't have we're not we're not like part-time application development, part-time building infrastructure. You know, it's part of our model and how we train and, and certify individuals, um, constant lifelong learners. So, you know, our, our, we, we motivate and incentivize, you know, our employees to go back and, and continue to that certification, learning new services. We do a lot of testing around services. A lot of our clients do that as well. So a lot of it's, you know, hands-on day-to-day experience. Okay. Now, so to that end, you, you had the, the recent honor of being named in the challenger quadrant of the most recent uh, Gartner Magic quadrant for managed service providers and public cloud uh, professional services. So how key is, is keeping your 
your folks up to date on those sort of things so that you can qualify for that? And, and what other things are important that landed you in that quadrant? Yeah, great question. So, you know, first off, I would, I would say it's, you know, being in the premier status with AWS, being an audited MSP, being a gold cloud gold platform provider for Azure, it starts with some of those in-depth knowledge and experiences with those providers. From there, it's obviously customer reviews and execution. We've been in the Gartner Magic Quadrant for three years since they started this. It's changed format and uh, requirements over the over the couple of years. You know, it's it's right now it's heavily weighted towards in some areas towards companies that are investing. You know, five or ten years out versus how they're executing today. For us, we work with enterprise and large enterprises and work at scale with their systems. And that's provided us a lot of customer recognition and feedback on the execution side. We also have helped many customers in the transformation process visioning how to change their business, um, some of which I can't talk about today, you know, from a customer name perspective, but it's beyond just leaving data centers. It's working towards how do we leverage cloud services to really bring that business benefit to our customers? Well, to that end, who do those customers tend to be, and has that changed over time? Is it is are you working typically with IT department, departments, or are you having direct engagement with line of business users, or is it some kind of mix between those? Yeah, no, good, good question. So, you know, there's always been this conversation about shadow IT and central IT and mode one and mode two. And yeah. we saw Amazon this year at reInvent really change the conversation to builder. And they kind of teed it up last year. But if you've been to the, any of the reInvents, I don't think Andy said DevOps once, Jassy, in, in any of his keynotes. It was about builder, builder, builder. And what, you know, we've always tried to do is a very similar thing is whether we start at central IT or we start at the business unit, irregardless of where we start, we know those two groups have to start to work together and had to start to, you know, in order to, in order for us to scale our business, which is driving, you know, cloud adoption, we really had to get both groups to work together. And so it's working with what's important to central IT, which is security, governance, uh, repeatability, scalability, and, and cost of services. And it's working with business units, which is, hey, I want to launch this today, or here's an initiative I've never been able to do because we didn't have the resources. How do I do it? Right? And providing to both of those groups the resources to execute on that has been, you know, a big part of our growth. Who's cutting the PO, though? I mean, that's – so they, they certainly have to, to work together, but ultimately somebody has to, has to pay your bills in some way. And the, yeah. like you said, shadow IT, right, is – like to a developer, there's no such thing as shadow IT. It's just work, right? And if they have to work around IT to meet their own productivity goals, they'll certainly do that. Are you still seeing that? Or are you still are you are you starting to see IT and get involved and actually paying the checks? And, and that is is reflective of some kind of uh, additional governance that's going on within a particular client. Well, yeah, we could do a whole podcast on that topic alone. You know, it depends on the enterprise how they want to structure it. So. You know, again, you, there's multiple ways to structure it, but at the end of the day, we are, you know, we go so far as to setting up the governance to where they can do chargeback and showbacks 
to an individual project or business unit worldwide. So one of our customers has 30,000 vendors worldwide that they work with, and they want to understand which vendors are more cost-effective in the number of tickets they open, their technical capabilities, um, how they're using resources, so that they can charge appropriately to those vendors and, and charge more to the vendors that are costing them money, essentially, or business units, right? And to establish that type of governance, you have to have visibility into what's going on. What happens when you don't have visibility or the right governance set up is, you know, just like we had when VM first came out, which is kind of VM sprawl, right? Same thing happens with cloud sprawl. And so as companies that have made, you know, pretty significant deployments have brought us in, you know, we're able to find millions and millions of dollars in savings because because we're able to understand which resources aren't being leveraged, which resources aren't being turned off. And it's beyond our eyes. It's beyond just the financial remediation. It's around technical remediation. So do you have the right class of service? Do you have the right size of services? Are you overpaying for licensing? You know, do you have resources that should be turned off? Uh, other resources that need to run 24 by 7 but don't need the same capacity all 24 hours. And so, again, it's understanding how to establish that governance for central IT. But then, as you mentioned, the developers, they just want to move quick. And so how do you facilitate them deploying, you know, an SAP test environment around the world or an e-com test environment, you know, without having to go through business requirements and six months of, you know, discussions with IT? How do you provide it at the click of a button and know that it's secure and governed? Right, right. And are you seeing... So when you come into an account like that, so do you typically already see cloud sprawl, or is it, hey, I've got a bunch of brownfield monolithic applications I'd like to move to the cloud, and I know some of them I'm going to have to rewrite in a microservices way to really take advantage of it. Like, what percentage of your customers fit in one of those two bins, or what are some other bins I might be missing? Yeah, I don't know if I could. I don't know that we were able to put them in, you know, that concise of bins. The way I would say is, most customers that have significant deployments that engage with our company realize the substantial savings once they start working with us. And so, you know, that tells us how how knowledgeable and and how focused some of the partners are that they've previously worked with. But it also lets us know, you know, kind of their level of visibility. As far as customers that we engage early with, it's part of our standard engagement in order to set them up for success from the onset. You know, I saw on your site, uh, Jeff, that Yamaha is saving 500000 annually, you say. Is that true? Yeah, and there's customers that are saving, you know, five to $10 million, you know, um, over what they were previously paying as well. You know, Yamaha case study is a couple of years old, but the way, you know, irregardless, irregardless how you cut it, moving to the cloud is going to save you money. Late adopters and what we saw five or 10 years ago, customers were still trying to rationalize that in the mind. How could I do that? One of my favorite examples is a really large mid-market, almost into, into the enterprise level um, customer that built a $30 million data center. And the majority of it was full capacity. So, so they hadn't even used, you know, a tenth of the capacity within that data center. And they were looking at an application and a business requirement for something that needed to store, you know, tons and tons of data. The problem is they didn't have any data today. 
And so when they costed it, when they ran the cost on the cloud, they ran it for the future of what they believe the application would actually get to, not what it was using today. And so they ran the wrong financial numbers. And that's how environments get built. I mean, and so when we go into customers, whether it be Yamaha or Condé Nast or a number of other customers, um, some that I can't mention, you know, there's always opportunity for us to help them save money, not just by moving to the cloud, but doing it properly and configuring services properly so that they are able to maximize their return. Right, because honestly, I would say you can come up with just as many case studies where people save money by not moving, by creating a more efficient on-premises environment. And, and to that point, I'll ask, what about hybrid cloud? Is that becoming, what happens when a customer says, look, this is going to have to be a hybrid situation. We've, we've got some data that is never going to go into the, the traditional public cloud. Do you help them? Do you say you gotta, you're on your own for that part? Or how does that work? Yeah, I mean, in my time in this business, everything has changed, right? Yeah. But some things have been constant. Um, you know, I remember when AT&T had a cloud and it sounded just like what AWS was offering and then they dropped out of the business and Verizon had a cloud and then it was private cloud. And, you know, there's all these vendors out there. Let's just start with that premise. There's all these vendors out there making billions of dollars off of technology and they're trying to protect that technology, obviously. The cloud is still early days. And I think hybrid is, is the one that's kind of hung on there the longest from a conversation standpoint and does have many practical and, and applicable uses here in, the net, here in the near future. You know, VMC on AWS is a great example of where customers can use it for, you know, DR scenario. They can use it to burst. It provides them capacity without having to do anything anything capex related let's just call it that right anything that would require them to make an investment to change the way they're fundamentally doing it today and it's a good step and there's you know interesting scenarios with outposts you know it's still early days on that but there's a lot of use cases both for the customer and and for aws and other customers with with that offer that being said i believe and you know i think a lot of uh, people would agree it's, it's definitely going to be something that's part of the enterprise, you know, for the next five or 10 years. And some of these migrations, you know, for customers are not, I mean, they're multi-year and, you know, that, that might only be a few of their data centers, right? So depending on the size, depending on what they're doing, depending on the types of applications, you know, a full cloud state for some very large enterprises out there, you know, maybe, maybe 10 to 15, 20 years off. All right. Well, that was a good answer. Yeah, I was going to ask you about outposts. I think that's interesting. So are those, are those anything you've really had to deal with yet? Um, you know, we have some edge cases where, you know, customers are starting to look at that. The way <laughs> the general rule that I would say is what we see with our customers, because they're representative of, you know, large traditional enterprises, is what comes out at reInvent typically has a six to 18 month lag with our customers. Right. So they may start testing early on it, but until they actually start using it, it's a ways out there. And every year it gets potentially longer um, just because there's more services coming out. You know, I heard one customer say at reInvent who was very long on their adoption cycle that they're still years away from using a couple of the services because they're just not ready. Now, that being said, Amazon has many customers that are using that services and those are 
typically you're going to be your, your technology companies and some of their larger users that require those services, and that's why they're coming out. Interesting. Hey, Pete, thanks for letting me squeeze that question in there. No, that's okay. I, I was done anyway. I'm good. Excellent. Well, Jeff, is there anything else you want to be sure that we know kind of about what's going on in the cloud, in the public cloud market, some of the important changes that our listeners should be aware of, stuff coming up on the horizon? Well, uh, you know, I'd start by saying I, we still think it's early in the process. So if you're not in the cloud and getting certified and understanding, you know, AWS, Azure, even Google, it's not too late. I would start. <laughs> uh, we're obviously seeing highly competitive wages and markets out there for cloud. You know, if you're if you are getting in the cloud and you're struggling with, or you are in the cloud and your organization's struggling with working on governance and security, you know, reach out to partners um, like SecondWatch or others that can help you move faster on the cloud. You know, but I would say probably the next two years are going to be probably the most exciting with some of the some of the the, the new products that our providers like. AWS and Azure and Google are going to put out in the market. So it's an exciting couple of years to, to, to be on the watch for some of those. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing uh, with us what you're seeing out there today and, and what it's like helping enterprises adopt cloud at scale. Uh, we appreciate you sharing those insights, and we hope you'll come back someday. Yeah, thanks for having me. Have a great day. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye, Pete. Bye now.